Section 10 of Curiosities of Literature, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Corinne LePage. The Domestic Life of a Poet, Shenstone Vindicated. The dogmatism of Johnson and the fastidiousness of Gray the critic who passed his days amidst the busy hum of men and the poet who mused in cloistered solitude have fatally injured a fine natural genius in shenstone mr campbell with a brother's feeling has since the present article was composed sympathized with the endowments and the pursuits of this poet but the facts i had collected seemed to me to open a more important view I am aware how lightly the poetical character of Shenstone is held by some great contemporaries, although this very poet has left us at least one poem of unrivalled originality. Mr. Campbell has regretted that Shenstone not only affected that Arcadianism, which gives a certain air of masquerade in his pastoral character, adopted by our earlier poets, but also has, rather incongruously, blended together the royal swain with the disciple of virtue all this requires some explanation it is not only as a poet possessing the characteristics of poetry but as a creator in another way for which i claim the attention of the reader i have formed a picture of the domestic life of a poet and the pursuits of a votary of taste both equally contracted in their endeavours from the habits the emotions and the events which occurred to shenstone four material circumstances influenced his character and were productive in all his unhappiness the neglect he incurred in these poetical studies to which he had devoted his hopes his secret sorrows in not having formed a domestic union from prudential motives with one whom he loved the ruinous state of his domestic affairs arising from a seducing passion for creating a new taste in landscape gardening and an ornamented farm and finally his disappointment of that promised patronage which might have induced him to have become a political writer for which his inclinations and it is said his talents in early life were alike adapted with these points in view we may trace the different states of his mind show what he did and what he was earnestly intent to have done why have the elegies of shenstone which forty years ago formed for many of us the favourite poems of our youth ceased to delight us in mature life it is perhaps that these elegies planned with peculiar felicity have little in their execution they form a series of poetical truths devoid of poetical expression truths for notwithstanding the pastoral romance in which the poet has enveloped himself the subjects are real and the feelings could not therefore be fictitious in a preface remarkable for its graceful simplicity our poet tells us that he entered on his subjects occasionally as particular incidents in life suggested or dispositions of mind recommended them to his choice he shows that he drew his pictures from the spot and he felt very sensibly the affections he communicates he avers that all those attendants on rural scenery and all those allusions to rural life were not the counterfeited scenes of a town poet any more than the sentiments which were inspired by nature shenstone's friend graves who knew him in early life and to his last days 
informs us that these elegies were written when he had taken the lizos into his own hands footnote this once celebrated abode of the poet is situated at hales owen shropshire End of footnote. and though his ferme orni engaged his thoughts he occasionally wrote them partly said shenstone to divert my present impatience and partly as it will be a picture of most that passes in my own mind a portrait with friends may value this then was the secret charm which acts so forcibly on the first emotions of our youth at a moment when not too difficult to be pleased the reflected delineations of the habits and the affections the hopes and the delights with all the domestic associations of this poet always true to nature reflect back that picture of ourselves which we instantly recognize it is only as we advance in life that we lose the relish of our early simplicity and that we discover that shenstone was not endowed with high imagination these elegies with some other poems may be read with a new interest when we discover them to form the true memoirs of shenstone records of querulous but delightful feelings whose subjects spontaneously offered themselves from passing incidents they still perpetuate emotions which will interest the young poet and the young lover of taste elegy four the first which shenstone composed is entitled ophelia's urn and it was no unreal one it was erected by graves in mickleton church to the memory of an extraordinary young woman eutricia smith the literary daughter of a learned but poor clergyman eutricia had formed so fine a taste for literature and composed with such elegance in verse and prose that an excellent judge declared that he did not like to form his opinion of any author till he previously knew hers graves had been so long attached to her but from motives of prudence broke off an intercourse with this interesting woman who sunk under this severe disappointment when her prudent lover graves inscribed the urn her friend shenstone perhaps more feelingly commemorated her virtues and her tastes such indeed was the friendly intercourse between shenstone and eutricia that in elegy eighteen written long after her death she still lingered in his reminiscences composing this elegy on the calamitous close of somerville's life a brother bard and victim to narrow circumstances and which he probably contemplated as an image of his own shenstone tenderly recollects that he used to read somerville's poems to eutricia o oh, lost ophelia smoothly flowed the day to feel his music with my flames agree to taste the beauties of his melting lay to taste and fancy it was dear to thee how true is the feeling how mean the poetical expression the seventh elegy describes a vision where the shadow of wolseley breaks upon the author a graceful form appeared white worse locks with awful scarlet crowned even this fanciful subject was not chosen capriciously but sprung from an incident once on his way to cheltenham shenstone missed his road and wandered till late at night among the cotswold hills on this occasion he appears to have made a moral reflection which we find in his essays how melancholy it is to travel late upon any ambitious project on a winter's night and observe the lights of cottages where all the unambitious people are warm and happy or rest in their beds while the benighted poet lost among the lonely hills 
was meditating on ambitious projects the character of wolseley arose before him the visionary cardinal crossed his path and busied his imagination thou exclaims the poet like a meteor's fire shottest blazing forth disdaining dull degrees elegy seven and the bard after discovering all the miseries of unhappy grandeur and murmuring at this delay to the house of his friend exclaims oh if these ills the price of power advance check not my speed where social joys invite the silent departure of the poetical spectre is fine the troubled vision cast a mournful glance and sighing vanished in the shades of night and to prove that the subject of this elegy thus arose to the poet's fancy he has himself commemorated the incident that gave occasion to it in the opening on distant heaths beneath autumnal skies pensive i saw the circling shades descend wary and faint i heard the storm arise while the sun vanished like a faithless friend elegy seven the fifteenth elegy composed in memory of a private family in worcestershire is on the extinction of the ancient family of the pens in the male line footnote this we learn from dr nash's history of worcestershire end of footnote shenstone's mother was a pen and the poet was now the inhabitant of their ancient mansion an old timber-built house of the age of elizabeth the local description was a real scene the shaded pool the group of ancient elms the flocking rooks and the picture of the simple manners of his own ancestors were realities the emotions they excited were therefore genuine and not of those mockeries of amplification from the crowd of verse writers the tenth elegy to fortune suggesting his motive for repining at her dispensations with his celebrated pastoral ballad in four parts were alike produced by what one of the great minstrels of our own times has so finely indicated when he sung the secret woes the world has never known while on the weary night dawned wearier day and bitterer was the grief devoured alone in this elegy shenstone repines at the dispensations of fortune not for having denied him her higher gifts nor that she compels him to check the fond love of art that fired my veins nor that some dull dotard with boundless wealth finds his grating reed preferred to the bards but that the tawdry shepherdess of this dull dotard by her pride makes the rural thane despise the poet's delia must delia's softness elegance and ease submit to marian's dress to marian's gold must marian's robe from distant india please the simple fleece my delia's limbs unfold ah what is native worth esteemed of clowns tis thy false glare o fortune thine they see tis for my delia's sake i dread thy frowns and my last gasp shall curses breathe on thee the delia of our poet was not an iris on air shenstone was early in life captivated by a young lady whom graves describes with all those mild and serene graces of pensive melancholy touched by plaintive love-songs and elegies of woe adapted not only to be the muse but the mistress of a poet the sensibility of this passion took entire possession of his heart for some years 
and it was in parting from her that he first sketched his exquisite pastoral ballad as he retreated more and more into solitude his passion felt no diminution dr nash informs us that shenstone acknowledged that it was his own fault that he did not accept the hand of the lady whom he so tenderly loved but his spirit could not endure to be a perpetual witness of her degradation in the rank of society by an inconsiderate union with poetry and poverty that such was his motive we may infer from a passage in one of his letters love as it regularly tends to matrimony requires certain favours from fortune and circumstance to render it proper to be indulged in there are perpetual allusions to these secret woes in his correspondence for although he had the fortitude to refuse marriage he had not the stoicism to contract his own heart in cold and sullen celibacy he thus alludes to this subject which so often excited far other emotions than those of humour it is long since i have considered myself as undone the world will not perhaps consider me in that light entirely till i have married my maid it is probable that our poet had an intention of marrying his maid i discovered a pleasing anecdote among the late mr bindley's collections which i transcribed from the original on the back of a picture of shenstone himself of which dodsley published a print in seventeen eighty the following energetic inscription was written by the poet on his new year's gift this picture belongs to mary cutler given her by her master william shenstone january first seventeen fifty four in acknowledgment of her native genius her magnanimity her tenderness and her fidelity w s the progress of taste or the fate of delicacy is a poem on the temper and studies of the author and economy a rhapsody addressed to young poets abounds with self-touches if shenstone created little from the imagination he was at least perpetually under the influence of real emotions this is the reason why his truths so strongly operate in the juvenile mind not yet matured and thus we have sufficiently ascertained the fact as the poet himself has expressed it that he drew his pictures from the spot and he felt very sensibly the affections he communicates all the anxieties of a poetical life were early experienced by shenstone he first published some juvenile productions under a very odd title indicative of modesty perhaps too of pride footnote while at college he printed without his name a small volume of verses with this title poems upon various occasions written for the entertainment of the author and printed for the amusement of a few friends prejudiced in his favour oxford seventeen thirty seven twelve months nash's history of worcestershire volume one page five hundred and twenty eight i find this notice of it in w lowndes catalogue forty four thirty three shenstone shenstone took uncommon pains to suppress this book by collecting and destroying copies wherever he met with them in longman's bibliotheca anglo poetica it is valued at fifteen pounds many copies of this first edition which he sold at eighteen pence each these prices are amusing the prices of books are connected with their history End of footnote. and his motto of contentus paucis lectoribus even horace himself might have smiled at for it only conceals the desire of every poet who pants to deserve many 
but when he tried at a more elaborate poetical labor the judgment of hercules it failed to attract notice he hastened to town and he beat about literary coffee-houses and returned to the country from the chase of fame wearied without having started it a breath revived him but a breath o'erthrew even the judgment of hercules between indolence and industry or pleasure and virtue was a picture of his own feelings an argument drawn from his own reasonings indicating the uncertainty of the poet's dubious disposition who finally by siding with indolence lost that triumph which his hero obtained by a directly opposite course in the following year begins that melancholy strain in his correspondence which marks the disappointment of the man who had staked too great a quantity of his happiness on the poetical die this is the critical moment of life when our character is formed by habit and our fate is decided by choice was shenstone to become an active or contemplative being he yielded to nature footnote on this subject graves makes a very useful observation in this decision the happiness of mr shenstone was materially concerned whether he determined wisely or not people of taste and people of worldly prudence will probably be of very different opinions i somewhat suspect that people of worldly prudence are not half the fools that people of taste insist they are End of footnote. it was now that he entered into another species of poetry working with too costly materials in the magical composition of plants water and earth with these he created those emotions which his more strictly poetical ones failed to excite he planned a paradise amidst his solitude when we consider that shenstone in developing his fine pastoral ideas in the lisows educated the nation into that taste for landscape gardening which has become a model of all europe this itself constitutes a claim on the gratitude of posterity footnote shenstone's farm was surrounded by winding walks decorated with vases and statues varied by wood and water and occasionally embracing fine views over frankly and clent hills and the country about cradley dudley rowley and the intermediate places some of his vases were inscribed to the memory of relatives and friends one had a latin inscription to his cousin maria another was dedicated to somerville his poet friend in different parts of his domain he constructed buildings at once useful and ornamental destined to serve farm purposes but to be also grateful to the eye a chinese bridge led to a temple beside a lake and near was a seat inscribed with the popular shropshire toast to all friends round the reckon the spot commanding a distant view of the hill so named a wild path through a small wood led to an ingeniously constructed root-house beside which a rivulet ran which helped to form the lake already mentioned on its banks was a dedicatory urn to the genio loci the general effect of the whole place was highly praised in the poet's time it was neglected at his death and its description is now but a record of the past end of footnote thus the private pleasures of a man of genius may become at length those of a whole people the creator of this new taste appears to have received far less notice than he merited the name of shenstone does not appear in the essay on gardening by lord orford even the supercilious gray only bestowed a ludicrous image on these pastoral scenes 
which however his friend mason had celebrated and the genius of johnson incapacitated by nature to touch on subjects of rural fancy after describing some of the offices of the landscape designer adds that he will not inquire whether they demand any great powers of mind johnson however conveys to us his own feelings when he immediately expresses them under the character of a sullen and surly speculator the anxious life of shenstone would indeed have been remunerated could he have read the enchanting eulogium of wheatley on the leesows which said he is a perfect picture of his mind simple elegant and amiable and will always suggest a doubt whether the spot inspired his verse or whether in the scenes which he formed he only realized the pastoral images which abound in his songs yes shenstone would have been delighted could he have learned that the montesquieu on his return home adorned his chateau gothique mernay de bois charmant dont j'ai pris la dit en angleterre and shenstone even with his modest and timid nature had been proud to have witnessed a noble foreigner amidst memorials dedicated to theocritus and virgil to thompson and gesner raising in his grounds an inscription in bad english but in pure taste to shenstone himself for having displayed in his writings a mind natural and in his lisaus laid arcadian greens rural recently pindmont has traced the taste of english gardening to shenstone a man of genius sometimes receives from foreigners who are placed out of the prejudices of his compatriots the tribute of posterity amidst these rural elegancies which shenstone was raising about him his muse has pathetically sung his melancholy feelings but did the muses haunt his cell or in his dome did venus dwell when all the structures shone complete ah me twas damon's own confession came poverty and took possession the progress of taste the poet observes that the wants of philosophy are contracted satisfied with cheap contentment but taste alone requires entire profusion days and nights and hours thy voice hydropic fancy calls aloud for costly draughts economy an original image illustrates that fatal want of economy which conceals itself amidst the beautiful appearances of taste some graceless mark some symptom ill-concealed shall soon or late burst like a pimple from the vicious tide of acid blood proclaiming want's disease amidst the bloom of show economy he paints himself observe florelio's mine why treads my friend with melancholy step that beauteous lawn why pensive strays his eye o'er statues grottoes urns by critic art proportioned fair or from his lofty dome returns his eye unpleased disconsolate the cause is criminal expanse and he exclaims sweet interchange of river valley mountain wood and plains how gladsome once he ranged your native turf your simple scenes how raptured ere expense had lavished thousand ornaments and taught convenience to perplex him art to pall pomp to deject and beauty to displease economy while shenstone was rearing hazels and hawthorns opening vistas and winding waters and having shown them where to stray through little pebbles in their way 
while he was pulling down hovels and cowhouses to compose mottoes and inscriptions for garden seats and urns while he had so finely obscured with a tender gloom the grove of virgil and thrown over in the midst of a plantation of yew a bridge of one arch built of a dusty-coloured stone and simple even to rudeness and invoked oberon in some arcadian scene where in cool grot and mossy cell the tripping fauns and fairies dwell the solitary magician who had raised all these wonders was in reality an unfortunate poet the tenant of a dilapidated farmhouse where the winds passed through and the rains lodged often taking refuge in his own kitchen far from all resort of mirth save the cricket in the hearth in a letter of the disconsolate founder of landscape gardening our author paints his situation with all its misery lamenting that his house is not fit to receive polite friends were they so disposed and resolved to banish all others he proceeds but i make it a certain rule arsa profanum volgus persons who will despise you for the want of a good set of chairs or an uncouth fire shovel at the same time that they can't taste any excellence in a mind that overlooks those things with whom it is in vain that your mind is furnished if the walls are naked indeed one loses much of one's acquisitions in virtue by an hour's converse with such as judge of merit by money yet i am now and then impelled by the social passion to sit half an hour in my kitchen but the solicitude of friends in the fate of somerville a neighbour and a poet often compelled chenstone to start amidst his reveries and thus he has preserved his feelings and his irresolutions reflecting on the death of somerville he writes to be forced to drink himself into pains of the body in order to get rid of the pains of the mind is a misery which i can well conceive because i may without vanity esteem myself his equal in point of economy and consequently ought to have my eye on his misfortunes as you kindly hinted to me about twelve o'clock at the feathers i should retrench i will but you shall not see me i will not let you know that i took it in good part i will do it at solitary times as i may such were the calamities of great taste with little fortune but in the case of shenstone these were combined with the other calamity of mediocrity of genius here then at the lisaus with occasional trips to town in pursuit of fame which perpetually eluded his grasp in the correspondence of a few delicate minds whose admiration was substituted for more genuine celebrity composing diatribes against economy and taste while his income was diminishing every year our neglected author grew daily more indolent and sedentary and withdrawing himself entirely into his own hermitage moaned and despaired in an arcadian solitude footnote graves was supposed to have glanced at his friend shenstone in his novel of columella or the distressed anchoret the aim of this work is to convey all the moral instruction I could wish to offer here to youthful genius. It is written to show the consequence of a person of education and talents retiring to solitude and indolence in the vigor of youth. Nichols' Literary Anecdotes, Volume 3, page 134. Nash's History of Worcestershire, Volume 1, page 528. End of footnote. The cries and the secret sorrows of Shenstone have come down to us those of his brothers have not always 
and shall dull men because they have minds cold and obscure like a lapland year which has no summer be permitted to exult over this class of men of sensibility and taste but of moderate genius and without fortune the passions and emotions of the heart are facts and dates only to those who possess them to what a melancholy state was our author reduced when he thus addressed his friend i suppose you have been informed that my fever was in great measure hypochondriacal and left my nerves so extremely sensible that even on no very interesting subjects i could readily think myself into a vertigo i had almost said an epilepsy for surely i was oftentimes near it the features of this sad portrait are more particularly made out in another place now i am come home from a visit every little uneasiness is sufficient to introduce my whole train of melancholy considerations and to make me utterly dissatisfied with the life i now lead and the life which i foresee i shall lead i am angry and envious and dejected and frantic and disregard all present things just as becomes a madman to do i am infinitely pleased though it is a gloomy joy with the application of dr swift's complaint that he is forced to die in a rage like a poisoned rat in a hole my soul is no more fitted to the figure i make than a cable rope to a cambric needle i cannot bear to see the advantages alienated which i think i could deserve and relish so much more than those that have them there are other testimonies in his entire correspondence whenever forsaken by his company he describes the horrors around him delivered up to winter silence and reflection ever foreseeing himself returning to the same series of melancholy hours his frame shattered by the whole train of hypochondriacal symptoms there was nothing to cheer the querulous author who with half the consciousness of genius lived neglected and unpatronized his elegant mind had not the force by his productions to draw the celebrity he sighed after to his hermitage shenstone was so anxious for his literary character that he contemplated on the posthumous fame which he might derive from the publication of his letters see letter twenty nine on hearing his letters to mr whistler were destroyed the act of a merchant his brother who being a very sensible man as graves describes yet with the stupidity of a goth destroyed the whole correspondence of shenstone for its sentimental intercourse shenstone bitterly regrets the loss and says i would have given more money for the letters than is allowable for me to mention with decency i look upon my letters as some of my chefs d'oeuvre they are the history of my mind for these twenty years past this with the loss of cowley's correspondence should have been preserved in the article of suppressors and dilapidators of manuscripts towards the close of life when his spirits were exhausted and the silly clue of hopes and expectations as he termed them was undone the notice of some persons of rank began to reach him shenstone however deeply colors the variable state of his own mind recovering from a nervous fever as i have since discovered by many concurrent symptoms i seem to anticipate a little of that vernal delight which milton mentions and thinks able to chase all sadness but despair at least i begin to resume my silly clue of hopes and expectations in a former letter he had however given them up 
I begin to wean myself from all hopes and expectations whatever. I feed my wild ducks, and I water my carnations. Happy enough if I could extinguish my ambition quite, to indulge the desire of being something more beneficial in my sphere. Perhaps some few other circumstances would want also to be adjusted. What were these hopes and expectations from which sometimes he weans himself, and which are perpetually revived and are attributed to an ambition he cannot extinguish? This article has been written in vain, if the reader has not already perceived that they had haunted him in his early life, sickening his spirit after the possession of a poetical celebrity, unattainable by his genius, some expectations, too, he might have cherished from the talent he possessed for political studies, in which Graves confidently says that he would have made no inconsiderable figure if he had a sufficient motive for applying his mind to them. Shenstone has left several proofs of this talent, but his master passion for literary fame had produced little more than anxieties and disappointments, and when he indulged his pastoral fancy in a beautiful creation on his grounds, it consumed the estate which it adorned. Johnson forcibly expressed his situation. His death was probably hastened by his anxieties. He was a lamp that spent its oil in blazing. It is said that if he had lived a little longer, he would have been assisted by a pension. End of section 10. Recording by Corinne LePage.